Good morning, everybody. Yes, I am the guest preacher because I don't preach here a lot, but I also work here. Thanks, Jack. Some people know what I look like without my beard. Anyways. Did you all figure it out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I walked past, no joke. Uh, my name's Will. I am one of the pastors here. But I, I have walked past, I'm going to keep it a secret. I told one person, but I walked past at least three of you in Dylan's, and you did not recognize me. And that is actually a great gift as a pastor because we go to Dylan's, we go to Walmart, and you're like, I just need to get in and out of here quick, and I don't want to talk for 20 minutes. Just this day, like another day, it's great, but just this day. But man, I was able to just in and out. It was awesome. But I was, anyways, I wasn't trying to do any like new, new year, new me thing, but uh, I, was, I was getting a little like, uh, dry skin or whatever, and so I had to do some maintenance, and the easiest way to do the maintenance on my skin and my face is just cut off my beard. It makes it a whole lot more accessible. So anyways, uh, that's why I shaved my beard off. It's already coming back. My kids were a little worried, but it's, it's, it's on its way back. So, All right. We're going to be talking about first things first uh, this morning. Uh, I thought that was fitting. It's a first Sunday. It's a first, it's a first of the year, just kind of a fitting uh, topic. And so I'm excited about it. We all like being first place. Uh, I like being first place. I don't get to do it very often, but I like it. Uh, we don't always like being the first loser, which is also known as second place. Uh, but we like being first. Um, I have two times where I was first uh, in life. Doesn't happen a lot, but uh, one time was great. One time not so great. So I'll tell you those two stories. So the first time when it was great, uh, I was playing basketball, high school, senior year, uh, we were in the finals for the state championship, and we were getting ready to go out on the floor. And uh, the other team had moved from 3A down to 2A, so they were our size now. And they thought, these 2A guys, we're just going to wipe the floor with them. And they were a little bit cocky about it. And then their coach, we were the home team. Okay, so home team is supposed to go out second. That's, their, that's the, what they do. We were playing at Bramlage, so nobody's really home court. But we were the home team wearing our white jerseys. We were supposed to go out second. And the other team was supposed to go out first. That's how it's supposed to go. But their coach hid in the bathroom. I don't know if he's trying to like play mind games with us or whatever, but he hid in the bathroom so that they could not go out on the floor first. So finally the refs, as they need to get the game going, they send us out there anyways. But we decided as a team, even though we were going out on the floor first, we were gonna make them leave the floor first. That was our goal. We were gonna, we, we were gonna win and make them leave the floor first, which we did. That was super good. So that's, that was a first that was great. Um, the other first is not so great. I was at a youth group party, New Year's Eve. It actually left, of course, New Year's morning, right? Right at 12. I just wanted to get home. I was tired. I wanted to get home, go to sleep. So I leave uh, the youth group I'm at, and it's in Whitewater, Kansas. And if you are, have ever been to Whitewater, you know this spot I'm talking about. There's a spot where it speeds up from 20 to 40. And I sped up too quick. And my dad didn't even get mad at me for the ticket I got because he knew the guy was just trying to catch people, you know, that were doing crazy things. But I wasn't. I just sped up too fast, got nailed, and I got the first ticket of the new millennium in Butler County. Like <laughs> 12 o'clock, o'clock, like 0001. I had the very first ticket in Butler County. So I guess it's still that millennium. So I will hold that record for a long time. Anyways, my son Malachi, he always wants to know what my favorite is of something. Uh, he always wants to know. And we've gone through all kinds of subjects, and sometimes I just have to make up what my favorite is because I just, I don't know. I don't have a preference. But anyways, I, he is always asking me. He's not into 
sports too much yet, but he knows my favorite NFL team. And some of you do too. I'm a Packers fan. No, not the Chiefs. I'm a Packers fan, um, which causes problems in my own home because my wife is from Northern Illinois, and so she is a Bears fan. So we have this like rivalry about the NFL. Uh, but we, luckily, we agree on two things. We agree on the Bulls for basketball, and we ab- agree on the White Sox for baseball. And those are really important. But we passionately disagree about the NFL. Uh, I did have to sit her down and have a talk when we were engaged, because even above all those pro sports, I love college sports, and I love the Wildcats. Her parents did not go to college, so I had to double check, like, will you please root for the Wildcats? <laughs> Whatever else you do, root for the Wildcats. And she said yes, and so I knew we'd, we'd make it. Um, and really, I come by that love for K-State honestly. My, my great-grandfather went there, my dad went there, my mom went there, my brother went there, and if I hadn't gone to go study the Bible, I'm sure I would have gone there too. Um, my love for professional teams, though, is a lot more squirrely. I mean, I, I've told you guys I'm from Kansas, so how did I end up with, you know, Packers, Bulls, White Sox? But I did grow up in the 90s, and so that explains the Bulls things, right? Michael Jordan, six championships, like I loved Michael Jordan. My mom would never buy me his shoes, but I practiced his fadeaway jumper all the time, which was actually not a good thing. That's not what tall people, that's not what centers, post players are supposed to do. We're not supposed to fade away. So I had to unlearn Michael Jordan's fadeaway. Mine was never any good anyway. So I had to unlearn that. But um, uh, that, so that was basketball. So for football, how did I become a Packers fan? Well, I loved the Scholastic Book Fair. Anybody remember the Scholastic Book Fair? Oh, man. Save up money. Because even more than sports, I love reading. Uh, and so I would save up money. I would go to the book fair. I would get all these books. And one year, I found this book, and it was on the history of the Super Bowl. And so I thought, man, this is awesome. I love history. I love history more than I love reading, maybe. And I love that more than I love sports. But this book was like, going to be awesome. So I open it up, get it home, open it up. I'm like skimming through and I want to go straight to the first Super Bowl. I want to see who wins the first Super Bowl. And for all of you Chiefs fans, I see a couple of Chiefs shirts out there. You guys were there, but you didn't win. Uh, so the Packers beat the Chiefs in the first Super Bowl. And that is how I became a Packers fan. Uh, yeah. My dad had always taught us that those teams from Missouri were in Missouri. They weren't from Kansas, so we didn't have to root from them. Um, and my dad, like other good men I know, is a Cowboys fan, so I, I had been set on this track, and so I picked the Packers. Um, anyways, uh, I know some of you guys, too, uh, when you are going past the car lot, I know Jack is this way. He sees the new trucks, and he's like, ooh, that would be nice to drive, right? And a lot of you are that way. But I actually, I am the guy who's like going in the ditch trying to see what the price is on that old rusty pickup that's for sale, much to my wife's chagrin. And so I, I, I love old, old trucks. I love rusty trucks. But it's just got to be the right amount of rust. Like nothing that you're going to have to fix, right? Just something to make it look cool. Um, you guys might be kind of catching on that I really like old things. I grew up across the driveway from my grandparents. They lived in an old farmhouse. I would go watch old people shows with them like Jeopardy and The Price is Right and Wheel of Fortune. And when Lawrence Welk came on, I would either take a nap or go make a snack, right? But I know what Lawrence Welk is. I, I love old things. I grew up around them. My dad and grandpa, they loved horses. So I grew up, I loved cowboys, the old west, pioneer stuff. I loved all that. All I heard on the radio as a kid was classic country like Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson. We listened to Paul Harvey. We listened to hymns on KJRG. Yeah. And uh, 
So I grew up with also all those old things, and I really loved them. And that is what kind of birthed in me, I think, at a young age, a love for history. I loved it. And then, fast forward a little bit, I get to Bible college, and there's this new kind of history I didn't know anything about, historical theology. And this is awesome. You could stay up till the wee hours of the morning debating about what all these old dead guys said with your friends, and it was like, it was, it was such a party every night. We would ha- rehash the same things over and over. Um, but because of that, also love for old things, I chose to study Hebrew at Bible College instead of Greek. We had this really good professor, and he was persuasive, and he would say, listen, if you have a biblical worldview, Hebrew was the first language. That's the language that Old Testament is written in. You should learn Hebrew. And if you have a really biblical worldview, you know that God is going to remake the earth, the heavens and the earth, like it was in the beginning, like it was supposed to be, and we're all going to speak Hebrew in heaven, so you might as well learn it now. So anyways, that set me on that track. I've said this before, and you guys will hear it again, uh, but one of my favorite books in the Bible is Ecclesiastes. It appeals to many parts of me. It's in the Old Testament, so it's old. It was written by the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon. It has poetry in it, and I love poetry. It's complex. It has things to figure out, puzzles in it. But one of the most famous sayings from that book is there is nothing new under the sun. And that is really true. If you've seen a fashion trend go out, and then 30 years later, the kids think it's cool, it comes right back in. Or if you're like me and you love those old 80s pickups, I can't afford them anymore because everyone my age has gone out, made mo- more money than me, and they are all buying them. And so there's no, no old rusty pickups even that I can afford uh, left. My son, uh, Malachi, he really comes by this favorites thing, honestly. I love to know what's best. I love to know what's oldest. I love to know what came first. I love to know what's excellent. I love to like sort all that stuff out. It's just fun for me. I read Wikipedia way more than I should. And it, it was this lifelong pursuit in my thinking that inspired me for the title of my sermon, First Things First, Out with the New and In with the Old. But we're not just gonna talk today about an older, idealized way of living. What I really wanna talk about is go all the way back and talk about what is oldest, what is first. C.S. Lewis, in his article, God in the Dock, and he's talking about not the kind of dock where you put a boat, he's talking about the little uh, cubicle you sit in next to the judge, and in that article, he compares us. He says, we try to be the judge, and we sit as the judge, and we put God in the dock. He says that's not good, but in his article, he talks about how important it is for us to remember what is first, what is most important. And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. God should be first in our lives, and God is first, should be for, first before anything else. God is oldest, God is first. So we're going to look at three aspects of God being first on this first day of 2023. Uh, so number one, God is first primarily because the Bible says so. It's really clear. Right away in Genesis 1-1, first verse in the Bible, we, we, it says, in the beginning, God. We have to remember that Genesis was written by Moses thousands of years after creation actually happened. The Holy Spirit inspired Moses to begin the origin story of the world with that simple but profound grouping of words, in the beginning God. Every word that comes after that is important, but for today we're going to be thinking in a focused way about what is first and what should be first. God was first, the Bible clearly says so. The beginning of the very epic of life as we know it begins with a simple but profound statement. God was first. If we understand that statement with the proper weight that we're supposed to, then whether it's simple or not, we had better never lose that truth. It literally underpins everything else humanity has ever known or will know. God himself is first, has always been first, 
and should always be first in every way. Also in Genesis, right there in the beginning, we see that God initiated the first sacrifice for sins. Remember, it's not always good to be first from my story of getting the first ticket. Satan was the first to sin. He rebelled against God. And uh, we followed him right in that. We were kind of like the first losers. We were second place in sinning, but the first losers. We lost so much when we broke uh, away from God when we rebelled against him. But God was gracious. He kills the first animal. The first death to ever happen uh, was God killing an animal to cover Adam and Eve. They're stuck in the garden. They just sinned. They knew they'd done it, something bad. They're hiding from God, and God graciously calls out to them, finds them, and he kills the animal to cover them because they know we're naked, we're exposed, we're, we're in a bad way. So first can be hard, even if they're good. That sacrifice was a painful thing. Uh, an animal died. Maybe an animal Adam and Eve had known in the garden. And uh, so first can be good, uh, even when they're hard. So the next thing is that God always initiates things with humanity. In Genesis 6, God is the one who reaches out to Noah to build the ark. Noah doesn't think, hmm, I'm going to build a boat. Boat sounds like a great thing. God, is that okay with you? No, God says, Noah, build me an ark because I'm going to use your family to restart uh, the earth. People have become wicked. I'm going to use the ark, your family to restart. Then later on with Abraham in Genesis 12, God reaches out to Abraham. He initiates with Abraham. He says, I'm going I'm to build a great nation for myself. And Abraham, you're going to be the start of it. You're going to be the beginning. Abraham doesn't think, hey, I'm going to be a great nation. God, is that cool with you? No, God is the one who always initiates. God is also Israel's first king. So as God is building that nation through Abraham, we read, uh, there's a really great, it's a song actually in Exodus 15. And it's after uh, Moses and the Israelites had come out of Egypt. They'd come out of slavery. And the beginning verse and the ending verse of that, Exodus chapter, Exodus 15, is very kingly, exalting language. It talks about God being exalted, God being Israel's king. And God was their king. So God is Israel's first king. Later on, they decide they want a king like the nations, and they will learn a very hard lesson that when they decide to do it their way, they will definitely get what's second best, and second best by a long margin. Also, in the, from the Exodus story, we see that God goes first in front of his people. When God is leading the people out of Egypt in that Exodus story, he's the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. God always goes first in front of his people. God's first rules, the rules he gives to Moses, when he gives Moses the Ten Commandments, his first three rules are all about keeping him first. So in Exodus 20, that's the, that's the place we have the Ten Commandments recorded. He doesn't list them in no particular order. They're in order on purpose. And the first three are all about keeping God first. Number one, Exodus 20, verse three, it says, you shall have no other gods before me. Then the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above that is in earth beneath. You shall not bow down to them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That's Exodus 20, four through five. He's telling them, don't make idols of things I created and don't worship anything I made. I'm a jealous God. He's just kind of restating commandment one. Keep me first. Then number three, it follows along right there too. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Exodus 20 verse seven. He's saying, don't take God's name lightly. Or you, or you may have heard, don't take it in vain. The idea that God is so holy, he's so first, that even when we mouth his name, it's better to, it better be for a good reason, not a bad one. 
I love the old joke, you can call me whatever you want, just don't call me late for dinner. You guys have heard that, right? But that's not how it is with God. When we use his name, it had better be done with reverence. It had better be done like it's the first most important word that comes out of your mouth. So God also says that everything that is first is his. He claims everything that's first. He says in Exodus 13, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and beast, it's mine. Before that, God tells Moses, uh, he tells him to consecrate those things, the first of everything. Livestock, children, are all, should all be consecrated to God. So our oldest kid, uh, our daughter Isabella, her, which is like a Spanish Italian for uh, Elizabeth. Elizabeth means promise to God or God's promise. And so when we were going to have her, we chose that name on purpose. We wanted, we, we had gone through a whole bunch of health things. Maybe some of you remember this with Steph's health. It was either bad or it was worse. That was kind of how her health was. We came here to Grace, and it was while, he, while we were here uh, that she got pregnant. We didn't know if we would get to have kids. And so when we chose Isabella's name, we chose promise to God or devoted to God. And then where her middle name is Joy, because we had come through a hard season, now we were in a uh, awesome time getting to have a kid. We chose her middle name as Joy. Anyways, okay. Every baby was a miracle. Ours was just special to us, so every baby is a miracle. But there's one baby who was the greatest miracle of all. We just got done celebrating that. Jesus was the first God-man. He was the most miraculous baby ever. He's the first and only God-man, 100% God, 100% man, who came to us to be the final sacrifice. And though it wasn't the first, it's the only one that would ever really matter. Also, while Jesus was alive, so before he dies, he teaches us to keep him first. In Matthew 6.33, he says that we are to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, which comes by faith in him, and that all the second things will work themselves out. Next, we can love God because he loved us first. Most pointedly, we read in 1 John 4.19 that we can only love, love each other because God first loved us. God is always first when something is good. But the reverse of that is also true. We are usually first when something is bad. And so the next aspect of God being first that we're going to cover is just that, how we screw things up. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what do we put first that we shouldn't? I'm not trying to offend anyone here, uh, but we're going to talk about some things that are very dear to us. Actually, things that should be dear to us, things that we should love, things that God tells us to love, but things that we can never put first or love more than God himself. In Christianity, especially if you've been a Christian for a while, if you've grown up around Christians your whole life, it's easy for us, it's, it's easier than we want to admit to let very good things creep in and seal our focus off of our relationship with God. God is real, as real as anyone sitting in this room. He's in this room with us. But it's a sneaky thing. We are all susceptible to putting our knowledge of God in front of our actual relationship with him. We can learn all kinds of things about him, talk about God with our friends. We can read about God in the Bible and still miss God himself. Remember, I'm not trying to offend anyone, and I'm really pointing the finger as much at myself as I am at any of you, because I've been guilty of all of these things. Don't let any of, any of these things take more of your love, 
your focus, your adoration, or joy than God himself does. And we'll start off with an easy one. One of the first things that can get in the way of God being first is money. It's happened to every single one of us, I'm sure of it. It's not supposed to, we all know it's not supposed to, but it gets us all. Another one is power. Even power in a small place or in a small way is intoxicating. It's intoxicating people, we love power. Even if it's just over our brother or sister when we're little, whatever we can do, we love it. Another thing that can take God's uh, first place in our life is sex. It's exciting, but closeness with God is better. And this one just fit too well, rock and roll. Uh, And I don't mean literal rock and roll, but it's just an idea of saying like, Anything that's beautiful, anything that's creative and awesome, those things are all supposed to point back to God. We're not supposed to worship or love those things above God. He's the original creator. He, whether we paint, whether we use six strings, whatever we do, God loves our creativity. It's part of how we show his image, how we show his image, but it's always supposed to bring us back to worshiping him. Not just those things, but other people can get in the way of God being first. We know we're supposed to put others above ourselves, but we're not supposed to put others above God. That happens often uh, with different ways, and this is where it's gonna get kind of personal. It can happen with our kids. If all of our money and time go to keeping them happy, giving them an awesome life through sports or music or giant piles of Christmas gifts, we miss our own happiness because God isn't first for us, but we double miss it because we don't live out an example for them of God being first. We can also put our spouse in God's place. Life is absolutely better with when our spouse is happy. Happy life, happy wife. We all know that. But if we let loving our spouse take first place in our hearts, in the end, we will be disappointed, and so will they. Loving your spouse should be very high on the list, but remember, everything is a distant second to our relationship with God himself. There's this rule in kind of working with marriages. It's called the 80-20 rule. And that rule states that um, on their best day, your spouse will be 80% of what you need. And that's why at the church we have Sunday morning gatherings, we have small groups, you should have friends. There's healthy ways to get that other relational health that you need in your life, that extra 20%. Because on their worst day, your spouse will not give you 80%. Sometimes it will feel like negative 80%. And that's why we have, again, those same things, church, small groups, all of those things. But the point is, is that no one person can ever fill you up 100%. And that's why uh, we can't ever let one person take God's God's place as first in our life. If you aren't married or don't have kids, people can still steal God's spot in your heart. Friends, coworkers, dating partners can infatuate us. We can spend so much time trying to be cool, to have friends that we forget that God is the closest relationship we have now and will have for eternity. If we really think in a biblical way, we know that God had existed in eternity past in in a perfectly happy relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't need us or to make the world to be happy, but rather in his generosity, he chose to invite us into that perfect relationship he already had. The point is that God is perfect at relationships, and any gap we ever feel in our relationship with God is there because of us or because of something someone did to us. Nothing, no friendship or relationship can fulfill the longing every human has to be in full and unceasing relationship with their creator. That is why the world is so hard to live in. By design, the earth itself and everything in it was supposed to be properly relating to God. But when sin came into the world, every relationship thereafter 
is broken. And we will only experience that full, good relationship when we see Jesus face to face someday, either by dying or by being a believer when he comes back to fix everything. All right, enough about uh, apocalypses or the end of the world. There's other things that can steal God's first place in our life, things like comfort, things like a standard of living that you're used to or a standard of living that you think you deserve. Uh, Paul was a hero of the faith, and he did not always live a posh life. He lived with much. He lived with very little. He knew how to do, do both. But any kind of standard of living, it can take God's first place in our life. Another thing that can try to steal his place is our health. Health is a good health is a gift from God and should be enjoyed, but because of sin and the brokenness of the world, it is not a guarantee. Even great health withers in the face of the enemy that none of us will beat, which is time. God himself is greater than any of his gifts. Another one, this stings a little, but work can, it takes so much of our time every day. It takes a good chunk of our day every day, but it can get in the way of God being first, whether through performance through prestige at work, or even the small rewards we get, those things can distract us from God. What looks like success is not always the path wants you or me to go down. In that case, even wisdom or good counsel can knock God off the throne, nudge him sneakily. Only following God, only our relationship and pursuit of him matters in the end. Failure in business with God is better than success without him. Like Jack said last week, missions exist because worship doesn't. In Piper's quote, worship of God is more important than any work we do, any sacrifice we make, or any effort we expend on God's behalf. Evangelism, missions, or any work for God is not a numbers game like commercial sales. It's not just, you're not getting brownie points for getting out there and getting your message to millions of people and then putting God second. God wants you connected to him in a meaningful and substantial way before he ever wants you to worry too much about who you are and about what you're doing for him vocationally or as a volunteer. I think I have, yeah, I have a little more time. I didn't didn't tell this story last time. It's a super interesting, fun story. There was this guy, uh, and there was a group of guys that did this throughout early Christianity. They would go sit upon this up on this big platform, and they called it a stylite, but it was just a big platform, and they would pray, and they would uh, try to hear from God and all these things, and there was this one guy, Herman, and he was Herman the stylite, and he would get his food sent up on his platform to him and, and whatnot, and he was up there for years. He would go up there and come down or whatever, but he, he was years without really doing much for God, but he was praying, he was listening to God, he was memorizing scripture, all these really great things. One day, God, he feels like God tells him to come down and preach a sermon. He comes down, preaches this sermon, and hundreds of people are converted to Jesus. And then what does he do? He goes right back up on his platform, and he sits and he prays. The point was is that God was preparing him for years to preach that one sermon, and, that, and he brought hundreds of people to Jesus, and then that was it. But uh, it, just like Paul... In Acts 9, uh, and you kind of get the flavor of it in Galatians uh, 1.17, but after Paul's conversion, he spends three years learning, teaching, growing. He spends three years before he goes out on a missionary journey. It's really cool to think about. Uh, Paul was a Pharisee. He would have known the whole Old Testament and probably have a good chunk of it memorized. He knew tons about God, as much as anybody in his day and age. 
And still, even when he's converted, he comes to Jesus, he doesn't go out right into ministry. He takes three years just to get to know God himself. Here's where we might touch some religious nerves, but just remember, I'm indicting myself with each of these because I've been there too. We can even put our favorite church, our favorite church leader, in the place of God. We can get caught up in church culture or in a personality cult if we're not careful. Paul warns, of the, warns us of this in 1 Corinthians 1, 11 through 17. The Corinthian church had fallen into this. They said, oh, I got baptized by Apollos, or I like this, yeah, I got baptized by this guy. He's cooler than Apollos. They got into this fight, and Paul goes in and says, that's silly, guys. Jesus is the best. Go after Jesus. Keep God first. We cannot let our own, even our own interpretation of the Bible get in the way of relating to God himself. This is a sticky one, so stay with me. God is real, the Bible's real, the Bible is absolutely true, and God gives us so much grace to understand him and learn from his word. But it is his word, and he reserves the right to tell us what it means. None of us are smarter, none of us are wiser, none of us are more discerning than God. There is a dangerous pride that can catch Christians or religious people, and each and every one of us is susceptible to it. We can think that we have the corner on the market uh, when it comes to truth. Our minds are weak, though. We cannot keep every cross-reference. We can't keep every Hebrew or Greek word study in our heads at one time. The Bible is absolutely clear, and so much of it is easy to understand, but we can miss little things here or there, minute points, simply because we are not able to hold all the facts in our head at once but we know someone who can. God promises to be our best study buddy when we're studying his word. We can gain a lot also by consulting other Christians or Christians in ages past. Like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun, and that applies to good interpretations of the Bible and bad ones. There's nothing new, and you, we can fall into them, but the point is follow God. He will always give us grace to uh, learn and grow from his word. We can let our feelings about God or our desire for certain feelings get in the way of God being first in our life. I grew up with a guy, actually went to Awana, Awana's with him once, and he punched me or kicked me or something, and so I didn't want to go back to Awana's ever again. Uh, but I grew up with this guy, and he uh, and his brothers and his dad were in a car wreck, and uh, one of his brothers died in that accident. It wasn't his dad's fault, but his dad took it so hard that from that day forward, his dad would not call Jesus the son of God because he thought, how could God, all-knowing, knowing his son was going to die, send his son to die? This guy's faith literally changed completely after that accident because his feelings about God, his feelings about what had happened to him, took God off the throne, took God from, stopped God from being first in his life. We can also work so hard to feel a certain way about God whether we want a certain high that we've experienced in the past or even an old familiar feeling we remember from our younger days. Those can be, become what we are working for instead of working simply to be close to God. If we spend all our time trying to catch that feeling we want or remember, we miss how God is working in our lives right now. So uh, God, in the story of Job, Job is this really wealthy man. He has 10 kids. He has all this livestock. He has all this, all this wealth, and he loses all of it. His 10 kids all die. He loses everything he owns. He even gets sick, and, and he, so he goes from this mountaintop to this valley, but he's faithful to God. God gets onto him a little bit, tells him what's up, and, but 
he, God restores everything that Job had lost. He gives him 10 new kids. He gives him double all of his possessions from before. So he goes from rich to suffering, back to rich. But in that, Job always walks with God to the best that he can. But in that, God, Job's first 10 kids were still dead. So in that second high that God brings him back to, in that second mountaintop, there's, it's a lot less of an innocent or naive mountaintop. He's gone through some real suffering. So his second mountaintop experience is really cover, colored a lot with a depth, a greater richness than the first one. He didn't chase the innocence of his life before that suffering. Job walked with God from the mountaintop through the suffering back up the mountaintop. He didn't spend his whole time just trying to chase that first mountaintop. That's the point of it. He, he embraced God's work on his life. Anything God made or that we can make can get in the way of keeping God first. And be sure that the enemy knows how to get me and he knows how to get each one of you. He knows how to get us thinking about something else besides God. Our fight then is both an individual one and a collective one. We should always be reminding ourselves to keep God first, and one of the best ways to remind ourselves is also to remind others. When we preach Jesus or when we remind each other of Jesus, we hopefully have our own ears open to hear our own message. I hope that my title would make us pause and think, and hopefully it was a little memorable, but I like new things too. I love good coffee, and that has not been a widespread luxury for most people. Uh, until recently, I love, I love Baconators. I love Baconators, but they're pretty new too. Another new thing that I think is great is airbags, because then when I drop my Baconator in my lap and I hit the car in front of me, I don't get too hurt. Airbags are good. Anyways, we should like new things. God actually wants us to. We should like the new things, but we should like the new things that God likes. The ones that are based on the first things, but are part of his plan to reach each new generation in the same old ways. So one of the ways that God reaches the new generation is through new believers. This is a new thing. The gospel itself is old, but when you see it hit someone for the first time, that God loves them enough to die for them, it's new to them. It, at that minute, it's the newest, first, best thing to them. And when God does his old work of redemption, in their life, it's a new work, and that's a wonderful thing. God work, God's work in our lives, if we know him for long enough, will become somewhat repetitive. There are only 10 commandments. There's only so many teachings in the Bible. There's only so many principles to learn. But by God, God's grace, he will bring us back to them over and over as we read the Bible, as we study together, as we disciple each other. Peter is really honest about this. It's one of my other favorite passages. It's 2 Peter 1, 12 through 15. He lists all, Peter lists all these good qualities that we should have in our lives, just good stuff. But he says in uh, verse 12, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So even though our, the Christian life, they're, they're at some point, you know, we've learned a lot and we're going over some of the same lessons again, but uh, God's work will always be 
to bring us to new joy. That's another, an, the next thing. Even though things will repeat themselves over time, with God, that doesn't mean he won't always be finding new ways to help us remember him or enjoy what he is teaching us. God will always help us find new joy in the re- somewhat repetitive life we can be living. God will also always lead us to new trust. Trust is the absolute bedrock of any relationship. Trust is the first thing we're supposed to do towards God. We trust Jesus' death on the cross to take away our sins. We trust that God is real and that he is worthwhile to get to know. Hebrews 11:6 says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Trust is one of the oldest ways that we relate to God. Ever since Adam was kicked out of the garden and we, he, we couldn't see God face to face anymore, we have to trust that he's real. We have to trust that he's there. But God will always find new ways to remind us to trust him or to teach us new ways that we need to trust him. He will always remind us that he's first through making up, maybe through a little pain, maybe through a little suffering, maybe through a little hardship. He'll remind you, trust me. We could spend another hour talking about uh, how God keeps his unchanging ways fresh for us so that by his grace we can get something right in life. But rather, let's talk about what can we walk out of here with? What can we do to keep God first where he belongs? So this is kind of our application. What can we do to keep God first? And the first thing is we have to be in a real relationship with God. We have to repent of our sins. We have to trust Jesus with our whole life. We have to trust his death, burial, and resurrection to save us and to allow us to live with him forever. That's the absolute first thing. You have to actually be in a relationship with God before you can put him first. The next thing after that is that everything in our lives should revolve around God. If something good happens, praise God. Thank God for that. If something bad happens, then go to God first with it. Ask him to comfort you, give, give you peace. If, uh, if you have doubts, take those doubts to God first. He knows how best to reassure you of the truth. He knows that people will get you sideways sometimes, but God will never, never be sideways with us. He will all, he's not afraid of our doubts. He will always help us. And the last way uh, to really keep God first is to let God have your day. Our first thoughts in the morning are often what carries through. If you wake up mad, it's going to be a, a crummy day. If you wake up happy, maybe it's going to be a great day. But if we can, through discipline or through just working at it, through trying to make it work for us, if we can put God as our first thought in the day, he has a good chance of being in your thoughts the rest of the day. And one way to keep him first in the morning is also have him be uh, one of your last thoughts. Maybe you like to journal at night or read your Bible at night. Maybe you read your Bible in the morning. Either way, just try to let God have your day. Your first and last thoughts of the day are not wasted if you spend them talking to and listening to God. So uh, hopefully your first thoughts once I'm done is your first thoughts after that are of God being first in your life. By God's mercy, I hope that the first thought we can have when we go out of those doors today is how we can keep God first in our own lives, in our own homes, in our own communities. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for being worthy of being first. Thank you that we don't have to doubt that there is any part of you that's second best or could be better. You're perfect. You're awesome. You are the greatest thing that that any of us has ever experienced or known, and we thank you so much for that. 
So God, we just pray that you would keep working on our hearts. Be patient with us. We know we let other things get in the way of you being first all the time. But God, we ask that you would just keep loving us, keep teaching us, keep growing us up, and help us to learn more and more day by day to keep you first in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.